Welcome to Two Dudes Watch Cartoons, the podcast where two dudes, that's us, watch cartoons. My name's Evan. My name is Alex. Uh, Today we're going to be covering book one of one of my personal favorite shows, Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, so we wanted to dive back into Avatar just because uh, there's so much to go over. Certainly not um, more than we can cover in just one podcast episode and certainly more than we can cover in two minutes. So we decided to go through book by book. Um, We're going to start with book one, which is water. Now I, this is probably the book I have the most memory of as a child. Uh, Just a little like housekeeping. It came out in 2005. Um, Just doing a quick math. I was 12 in 2005. You know, I'm a child. I feel like these episodes probably played the most um, because in the scheme of the whole show, granted, now, if you're listening to this, please assume we are going to be talking spoilers for book one. Oh, we will spoilers. Pro- yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, more, I'm assuming everyone's seen this. Yeah. We will probably get into light spoilers for book two and book three, but I'm going to try to avoid anything uh, too much in case, you know, someone's following along for the first time. Um, you never know. But what I was going to say is these episodes compared to the other t- uh, two books are a lot more comedic. You see a lot more of, oh, this is a Nickelodeon kid show, but um, the tone is just a bit off. Not off. Off is the wrong term. The tone is building towards what we yes. know and love for the show. And I think you can, they're more episodic journeys. They start and end in one story. It's not spanning multiple episodes. Granted, there's two two-part season or two-part episodes in the season, but uh Like I said, this is the one I had the most memory of, but it was also one of the more fun ones to revisit as an adult. Let's give a quick background of a quick synopsis of the show. Um, There's really no better way to sum it up than the intro that they do. Uh, So we're just going to play that for you real quick. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago... The four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. And yeah, that pretty much gives the whole history of uh, the events that happened prior to this show starting. Uh, yeah. The Four Nations are uh, being invaded by the Fire Nation, and Aang just has awoken from a deep slumber. As far as intros go, this really hits the nail on the head. You get a lot of backstory. You realize the Avatar's been missing. He's back now, and the Fire Nation has taken over. You learn a little bit about water, earth, air, and fire bending just through the visuals of it. Um, you know, coming into it as a know nothing audience, this intro gives you a very, you know, gives you a very good look as to what this story is going to be about. The, the little string instrument at the end that's like really plucky after yeah. they say 
but I know Ain't Can Save the World really gets me hyped. I like oh, forget. I get goosebumps. It. Yeah. yeah. And, and, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly it. Yeah. Katara nails that. Um, the, the show's music in general, oh, since you brought it up, uh, w- one of my notes here is the music in this show is just top notch. They clearly, like, I feel like as a kid's show, you could probably get away with having not so good music or not putting care into it. Sure. But the music really sets the tone for these seasons. And like you said, even just in the intro, it gets you a hype just for the beginning. Like, oh man, like, okay, Aang's got a, you know, he's young, inexperienced, but he's going to, he's going to save the world. Mm-hmm. I was reading about the the production of the show. Um, so it's created by these two guys, Michael uh, DiMartino and Brian Konitsko. Um and the first time we talked about this, we talked a lot about world building and we've kind of alluded mm-hmm. to it, how there's all this backstory that they try to cram into that, you know, 20, 30 second intro. Uh, but in the, you know, when they were conceptualizing this show, they wanted to do something that was, and I didn't have the term for it. So when I read this on Wikipedia, it seemed perfect. They wanted to do something that was in the like legends and lore uh, genre comparable to Harry Potter which we mm-hmm. compared it to in the past and um, Lord of the Rings. So it fits right in there, but it's a little bit different than what probably Western audiences are used to seeing because it is very much based on Eastern philosophies uh, uh, based on Eastern Asian, um, even Inuit uh, cultures in history. So well, that's part of the world building. It's got okay. different cultures. It, mm-hmm. Like it's not a show of uh, one race, one people. Like there's different nations, and even just in the waterbenders, you have like swamp benders. There's different yeah. the northern and southern southern uh, excuse me, wa- northern and southern water tribes. Mm-hmm. They have difference in cultures. Different like it, you can see it. So I get what you're saying. Where it's not like your typical. It's not like any sort of cartoon it's not that Game I've of really Thrones, seen. It's not yeah. Lord of the Rings, but it it fits. It's trying to accomplish the same thing. 25 minute episodes. It does a very good job. And in all honesty to the creators, I think it's harder when you have less time, you have to really focus. There's like nothing goes to waste here. Everything Mm -hmm. is either a joke, a plot point, or it's part of world building. It gives you some reference of culture, their way of life without you even thinking about it. Sometimes they just slip it in there. And I, I think the fact that they are shorter episodes really shows like the genius of how, how good they are at this world building. You mm-hmm. mentioned one of the things they were like, one of their influences world building wise was like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I have watched the show so many times, the voice of general Zhao or excuse me, Admiral Zhao by the end of it is Lucius Malfoy from Harry Potter. It's really? Malfoy's dad. Yeah. It's the same oh, wow. actor. Uh, one of the creators was like, our general Zhao needs to be, I can't think of the actor's name and this is poor. Cause I just read this the other day, <laughs> but uh, they were like, he needs to sound just like him. And so they just went out and got that just actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so cool, but he's got an American accent in this that obviously yeah. oh, he's normally a uh, uh, British, but I just thought that was really cool. There's, there's some big names in this show. I think if you have good voice acting, I think that l- lends credence to the fact that this is more than just a kid's show. This has more importance, more value. Some, like a, some big name actors took time out of their day to work on mm-hmm. this project. Yeah. Mae Whitman is one. She, she voices Katara. Her? Her? Yeah. From, Her? Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what, Arrested, Arrested Development. Development. Yeah. Um, she and, sounds very young. Well, the, also Aang. Aang is yeah. a kid. He's an actual kid. Yep. So I was going to say that going back and watching that, one of the very noticeable things is that 
And obviously it's because they're using uh, child actors to voice the child characters. So um, by the end of it, they have matured. Their voices sound noticeably different, uh, mm-hmm. but going back to it, you get a real sense of appreciation for like these actors are actually going growing with the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I love these characters. Do you want to just run through the characters one by one? Let's, sure. let's kind of go order of, um, appearance here we start with Sokka and Katara Mm -hmm. in the boat and this is something we talked about just the other day it wasn't uh, on a podcast but within uh, it's got to be the first couple minutes of the show they address one this world building about how Sokka is a warrior and doesn't like Katara's water bending, even though, you know, he's the one doing the fishing, but she gets the fish mm-hmm. and he's still annoyed with her. And so, yeah. and then we mentioned, they bring up the word sexes, sexist or sexism, one of the two. And as a 12 year old, you know, that was probably the first time a lot of us were hearing that word or really hearing it in a conversation piece. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a focus throughout the whole show is for, yeah. For a show created by two dudes, this is uh, not us two dudes, but two different dudes, <laughs> Michael and uh, Brian. Um, it, it, it's got great female representation and mm-hmm. and themes throughout it. It, it starts off, uh, the very first note is she's saying you're lines. such a sexist. Yeah, yeah. yeah and the and context, just, their context they're using it is in uh, he's kind of diminishing what she's contributing to the tribe because they're trying to look, they're, they're, they live in the South Pole. Uh, in a tribe that's dwindled down, it's um, all of their men are out of, to war. Yeah, reminiscent of like an Inuit culture mm-hmm. or an Arctic indigenous tribe. Yeah, they um, live so in they're out, uh, canoeing between icebergs and looking for fish to feed their tribe, and, and um, she's constantly being belittled by her brother, older brother Saka, who's kind of the man of the household now. Um, mm-hmm. and she's but you saying, get a good dynamic into this. Yeah. yeah. You get a good yeah. dynamic into these two. Obviously they're brother, sure. sister, they care about each other, but they argue, they bicker like real siblings. You know, it's not like fake. These are real world issues that Katara is dealing with. Yeah. But they, yeah, they do try to tackle, um, bigger world concepts and issues. Yeah. So we have the two siblings, Sokka and Katara. Sokka is, uh, the older brother. Um, carries a boomerang he's a headstrong male he's also kind of the comedic relief of the main characters he's really funny yeah his big primary role for a kid's show i laugh a ton during this like and it's not just like oh haha that's a good like kid's joke like there are times that i'll actually laugh out loud Mm -hmm. and then uh katara is his younger sister they're i don't know mid mid mid-teens both yeah, 14, I want to say 16, 16 14 age. Um, and she has, so in the world of Avatar, obviously, they have these, uh, there's the four elements and there are people who have, uh, whether it's like a spiritual connection or, uh, with, with the earth, they have the ability to manipulate these elements. Um, so she's a waterbender, me- meaning she can control uh water and manipulate it in whatever way she wants and they show just developing these powers uh and they show good examples of this right out of the gate her picking up the fish out of the water Mm -hmm. and she's not that good at it she can't control a chance of dropping it but then also when she is yelling at Sokka for being sexist you see her powers like break that huge iceberg behind them showing that it is tied to their relation or uh their emotional state kind of what they got going on inside you know she got angry she got stronger too the other and, cool thing, uh, world building wise, is that uh, all the four forms of bending are based off of 
uh, a real world form of martial arts. So water bending is based off of Tai Chi. Um, I think fire bending is based around, I, I think it's like a Northern Shaolin form mm-hmm. of martial arts, uh, form of Kung Fu. And they do a really great job of animating that, which is cool as well. Well, yeah, it's very noticeable too. Throughout the whole series, you notice when someone's doing what type of bending. It's different. And for a kid's show, that sort of attention to detail is just really appreciated because there's no way 10 nine-year-olds are really paying that close attention. Obviously, they know they're doing some sort of martial arts, but to notice that the styles each have very unique movements and patterns, Mm -hmm. that's just so cool to me. It's it's. Like I said, that level of attention to detail is what really puts this in a league of its own. Oh, yeah. So uh, in the first episode, they're out canoeing, looking for fish. Uh, Katara has this emotional outburst, which breaks open an iceberg. uh, And they discover there's a little boy boy. in the iceberg. That's the first that's the first episode or that's the name of the first episode was the boy in the iceberg. Or was it just the boy in the ice? One of the two. Either way, it's the boy in the iceberg. Yeah, boy in the iceberg. I really like this start to it because. They show Aang in that pose, and he's glowing, too. He's obviously got, we, the audience already knows that he's, like, important and special, but, like, Katara and Sokka can see, like, oh, this is, someone's, like, in the ice. Mm-hmm. They didn't just accidentally get froze there. His yeah. meditation stance shows that he meant to do this. And they let him out, and that huge beam of light comes, and then we meet Avatar Aang, the, the third character here. And he's with his, his pet, his companion, Appa, who is a sky bison, a six-legged sky bison, which is this creature that can fly. Um, and he is an airbender who comes from a different region, um, but he's also the, the last one. The air nomads. Yeah, we, air nomads, yeah. We, we, the audience, know he's the last one. Um, and I guess Katara and Sokka, they've never seen an airbender. I think that's yeah. really cool. We're getting more of that world building. They're just like, whoa, you're an airbender? What? There are no airbenders anymore. Where they don't need to specifically go into the fact of what happened. We can just pick up on these context clues. Yeah. He, um, he, but anyways, he's been trapped in the ice for 100 years, right? Yeah. And Do you know what his, what's his oh. first thing he says when he gets out of the... Do you know what he says? Uh, I, I don't know. I, don't I think recall. it's so funny because, like I said, it looks so epic. He's in that pose. He's glowing. Uh-huh. That huge beam of light uh, hits like the sky. And then he pops out of the iceberg. And he, the first thing he says when he sees Katara, he's like, do you want to go penguin sledding with me? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it just, it's always this dichotomy yeah. of like Aang having like ultimate power versus being like truly a like a childish yeah. child. <laughs> yeah. Like a child. Yeah. I, and we get that once again in the first five the first minutes episode, of the show. Yeah. We're really learning so time. much. Of, yeah, we're learning so much about the world and these characters right out of the gate. And so after that beam of light shoots, once he's freed from the ice, the next characters that we meet are uh, the main antagonists of the show, uh, which is Zuko, who is a the banished, uh, the exiled son of the the Fire Nation. Yeah, he's prince a prince. of the Fire Nation. Yeah, we'll yeah. call him Prince Zuko. Put some respect uh, on his name a little. <laughs> And, and he's with uh, his uncle Iroh. Two firebenders. Yeah, like I said, main antagonist. The firebenders are going to be the, the main enemies here. But your first introduction to Zuko and Iroh, once again, you get very much into who the, these two characters are, where mm-hmm. you find out Zuko's been looking for the Avatar for a while now. Iroh mentions the Avatar hasn't been seen in 100 years you get kind of the dichotomy of Zuko being like angry and hot headed where Iroh's like, ah, it's probably nothing. I wouldn't worry about that giant uh, beam of light. <laughs> yeah. I think when we first meet Iroh, he's playing 
Pie Show or whatever that game. Of is course titles. he is. One hundred percent he is. I'm skipping ahead bit, a bit here, but Feel it's my favorite too, Iroh quote of the season because if you know how the series plays out, but Iroh's always playing this game. What is it called? Pie Show. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the tiles and the quote he drops later in the season when he loses his Lotus tile, he says, most people think the Lotus tile insignificant, but it is essential from the unusual strategy that I employ. And if that's just not the most Iro thing, it's like, it's a great bit of foreshadowing there because mm-hmm. Iro is all about employing unusual strategies. Mm-hmm. And as we learn later on, that Lotus tile is going to, going to be important to that unusual strategy. Yeah. So the, the, the first episode is really just an introduction, setting the stage for all this. Um, they're in the Southern Water Tribe, which again, has been raided by the Fire Nation at this pretty point. Pretty desolate. Yeah, so it's pretty desolate. Um, uh, and then eventually the Fire Nation, after they've seen the beam of light, have made it to the Southern Water Tribe to look for, because they're, they know the source of that massive beam of energy had to be the Avatar. So they had their... Uh, and that sets the stage for I think Zuko two. knows. Iroh oh, yeah. does not. Iroh doesn't. I think I Iroh like is very convinced. Like, yeah. I think Iroh is convinced the Avatar, they're not going to find the Avatar. Okay. Yeah. I think they've been on that mission for a while. And he just at the beginning is very like, come play this game, drink this tea. Like, mm-hmm. don't stress yourself out too much, Zuko. Because also, yeah. you know, he is trying to get Zuko to <laughs> bring it down a couple notches there. Yeah. So episode two. And we don't have to go through episode by episode, but I just wanted no, to touch on it. Each quick. episode has something so great, though. We honestly That's could true. go episode by episode, but yeah. those are going to be our mind, our five main characters in this first season. Um, they each, like I said, in the first episode, we get a very good look at who they are, and then it's going to build on that. They're going to grow, and this is just a good baseline of this is their character, this is what they're about. But so, yeah, the first episode mostly setting up the, the plot and the conflict. Zuko's hunting, or excuse me, Zuko and Iroh are hunting for Aang, who is the last Avatar. I think it's pretty funny in the first episode, too. They assume he's going to be like 100 years old. Yeah. And so when Aang is running at one point, he's like, oh, man, he's, he's pretty fast for, he's a, pretty for spry, an old man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says, pretty spry for an old man. Uh, and Zuko's like re- full on ready to take this dude on, thinking he's like a 100-year-old monk. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to capture his ass. <laughs> yeah. And, and initially, the Southern Water Tribe is a little skeptical about Aang, right? Because Wouldn't one, be? yeah, they don't, they didn't know that he existed. And then two, it's like, okay, you have, but so you are real, but where have you been for the past hundred years? When I would feel abandoned if here. my avatar, he's literally like this world's one celebrity. Yes. I don't know any other way to put it. If, if your one hope <laughs> vanished for a hundred years, you'd feel a little betrayed if he showed up all of a sudden be like, well, where you been dog? Yeah. And so they're, they're a little skeptical of him uh, and they're not on the greatest of terms. Um, and in episode two, uh, they actually, the, the fire nation shows up at the, the Southern water tribe. Aang has left at this point because the, the water tribe doesn't mm-hmm. really trust him. Right. Um, but he goes back because he knows he has to, to save the fire nation. He actually, um, turns himself into the fire nation so that mm-hmm. they'll let the water tribe go. Um, so it's selfless. My, yeah. It's one of my favorite sequences in episode two. There's a, a stint where he's been captured, um, by Zuko. And then he does, there's this whole boat escape sequence. And it's one of the first, I think really great animation animated action sequences in the show, especially in season one um, where there's not all these crazy bending battles. It's like Mm -hmm. one of the highlights for me 
um, action wise is this boat uh, escape sequence. And then also there's this crucial moment of character building um, where he's like trying to escape the boat. He finds himself in Zuko's like quarters, basically in his bedroom. Um, and they start fighting. And, and it's this thing I noticed where Zuko's throwing his all, he's shooting fire at Aang. Uh, and you get a little bit of Aang's personality of his airbending, his, his um, pacifist beliefs. Um, and, because while he's on the defense, he's he's never attacking Zuko back. He's mm-hmm. always redirecting, um, using Redirected. Zuko's momentum against him. And then yeah. he does like one move where he slams him uh, with the mattress, which I thought was pretty funny. But it's like yeah. that's that captures him. And, and they build his character in an action sequence, not in dialogue, not in anything. But they're using all of these things to continuously add to the character, which I think is great. Yeah, I, one thing I love about that fight, and I'll note, is how it starts. Is Aang is being walked by two random fire uh, Fire Nation guards, mm-hmm. and he slowly comes to the realization. He's like, "Wait, so you guys have never fought an Airbender before?" And then he's like, "Oh, okay." So then he just realized, "I can wile out. These guys yeah, don't know what they're." Work, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all his tricks work. Anything is up for grabs because they've never. It's been a hundred years since the Airbender's been around. So mm-hmm. he realized, uh, and, and that was what started the whole thing. So that I always thought, once again, just they do a good job of poking in a little bit of comedy. And then, like you said, it's this great action sequence where then we get into a fight where you learn a little bit about Zuko and Aang in that fight. I think that's one of the great things about the four elements too. They each represent something, you know, outside of just water, earth, fire, and wind. They Mm -hmm. represent personality types, personality traits. And I think they do a great job of exemplifying it. The air nomads, super peaceful, as you said, super pacifist. And, that shows in their fight fighting style. You know, yeah. Aang's not much of a fighter, but he's great in combat because he's an airbending master and he can, he can get out of any situation he needs to. Mm-hmm. Whereas Zuko is going to try to punch his way through any sort of situation he needs. I to. think that's the first time we see him. He's, he's learning new firebending um, yeah. exercises and Iroh's he's like really hot headed and he wants his uncle to teach him new Right. He's like, be patient, you know? Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. You got to master this one first. Oh, so good. Cause it's like, that just seems like such a throwaway scene. You know what I mean? But it really, it's building who these two are. It's building the differences between them. It's building Iroh wanting to be a teacher to Zuko. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is not stuff that we really pick up on in season one, just hints of it here and there. But yeah. like I said, uh, Iroh in season one, very comedic. He's not as focused yeah. on, teaching Zuko, whereas it's, those are more of like small moments where he's trying mm-hmm. to teach Zuko big life lessons. And that's a good introduction. Cause yeah, that is what it is. Zuko's like, teach me the next move. He's like, no, no, we got to do this one. <laughs> Slow down. And he's had another great line. Cause this doesn't come up for seasons later. Iroh says firebending comes from your breath. And it's, whereas Zuko's firebending comes from his anger and rage. You know, he, Iroh's trying to teach him something more deeper and meaningful. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually wrote down a question for you. Your favorite fight. Would you say that's your favorite fight in book one? In book right one? Right out of the gate? You got a lot of fights to choose from. Ooh, I, I think so, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there are cooler bending ones, but... It's a good introduction, too. Just like the pacing of it, it it's really good. Yeah. It's one of no, my I get that. for me. All right, all right. It's a chase sequence, not oh, just yeah. a fight sequence. Definitely. And that's part of Aang's thing. He's not big on the fighting. He's trying to get out of there. They're trying mm-hmm. to fight him, which in turn makes it a fight sequence. But what, about, so, what would you say your favorite fight is in season one? 
Oh, well, I'm going to go to the other end of the season, and it's actually two waterbenders. It's Master Paku and uh, Katara. Katara. Okay. Yeah, that one at the, cool. at the end is, is pretty baller. That's definitely my yeah. favorite in the first one. Um, it, not to mention, you just see how far Katara's cr- come from not being able to hold the fish in the water to taking out a waterbending master. And, oh, my God, while we're talking about it, it's a nice – I think – we've talked about this before in other stories – is stories that can find some sort of symmetry – or um, like bookends to the yeah. stories. I, I, I love that shit. I'm all about that. Anytime a story can do that. But so, it, like I said, it starts off with Katara not being the best waterbender and raging on Sokka for being sexist. Yeah. And the season ends with Katara showing she's improved a ton at waterbending and raging on Master Paku for, for being, being a sexist. sexist. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's, I love that kind yeah. of stuff. I love when they put like a, a nice full circle to it. Yeah, here's another one for you. So you're just talk- we we're just talking about Zuko's introduction, learning firebending moves and being very impatient. Mm-hmm. Just because I literally just watched it because I fell asleep the first time I was watching this <laughs> episode, um, is when Aang first tries to learn firebending from Jung Jung. Uh, Bro, towards the I end just, of the season, I just watched impatient. that episode recently. Yeah. Oh my he gets god, impatient and he, you know, he doesn't want to focus on his. He literally is doing. He's led up a mountain to do a breathing exercise, comes back down because he's lost his patience. And Jung Jung's like, no, you're not ready to start yet because this is how people get hurt with fire. Oh and then he literally hurts Katara seconds later. Mm-hmm. But that's the same thing Iroh is trying to teach Zuko. Exactly. Whereas, so like Zhang Zhang and Iroh, him, him, you know, these two firebenders seem to have similar philosophies and they are trying to instill that into two firebenders that just don't seem to get that right now. Mm-hmm. I love the stuff with Zhang Zhang because in all of book one, and you know, it makes sense. I'm not like complaining about this, but we're shown that firebenders are just evil, mean, rude. Mm-hmm. They're the enemy. They're trying to take over the world. Easy as, and then you meet Zhang Zhang and he's a defector. He, you know, he's like, no, yeah. I don't agree with what the fire nation's doing. And not that, you know, there's many signs before it, but this is one of those things where you're like, oh, like this is real war. Like not everyone in that nation does agree with what's going on. Uh, You know, he's the defector. He teaching him teaching Aang what he can about firebending before they, before Admiral Zhao shows up uh, is a really great scene. He's got a quote there that I absolutely love just because I love firebending as a whole. Zhang Zhang says, the sun is the greatest source of fire yet it is in complete balance with nature. Oh, oh, are you kidding me? What a beautiful quote. Because we're taught that firebending is dangerous. It's, it's anger. It's rage. That's what Zuko, Zhao, that's what all these firebenders that we're really seeing in book one are showing us. Mm-hmm. Where Iroh and Zhang Zhang, they're trying to teach something different. You know, I, um, this is a weird science fact, but someone was like, you know, if the earth was just a couple miles further away from the sun, we would all be frozen. But if it was a couple miles closer to the sun, everything would burn up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, we really do have that perfect symbiotic relationship with, that's what he's talking about, the sun being, it's a horrible destructive force. If you get close to the sun, you get burnt up to a crisp. Yeah. But it's what sustains all of life here on earth is that fire, that sort of, uh, that sort of balance is, and it's, it's something that's hinted at throughout the show is that sort of balance between nature, spirituality and stuff. And so to get a look at it in book one with uh, the element of fire, I think is really interesting because uh, 
like I said, we're, we're just taught to really see the firebenders as evil people in the beginning. Yeah. And since we're on the topic of, of bookends, one thing, and, and this actually goes into the next episode, episode three, mm-hmm. um, one thing that if you are rewatching the show or if you're watching it for the first time uh, that we noticed on our most recent rewatch is that they do this really clever thing um, where in the first episode where they explore Aang's history, uh, where they actually do flashbacks of what happened to him before he went into the iceberg. At the same moment, Ooh. they're planting. So this is the storm, flashbacks. right? Yep, this is the this storm. This is the episode, The Storm. Great episode. Go on, uh, sorry. Uh, Southern Air Temple, I believe. But they talk about the storm. Or I could is be wrong. It? I don't know. Whatever. Technicalities. So the um, Southern, well, I, I got a little bit of a list here. Let's stick in order since we are, I don't want to cut you off from your point. Sure. But the Southern Air Temple is where. Aang is convinced, you know, he's like, well, the firebenders probably couldn't find the airbender. So I think you guys are going to be surprised. I think we're going to run into some airbenders and we uh-huh. show up and it's empty. And we do learn a little bit about Monk Yatsu. And remember, this is where he finds the dead bodies that are all there. Okay. Maybe. You're right. I skipped it. Really? Like it, 10 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. That's fine. I, Cause I think you were making a good point, yeah. but there's something while you're on the episode, you're actually talking about episode sure. three. Uh-huh. I think this is, Another thing, these kids shows, a Nickelodeon show in 2005, I'm telling you, if I was watching Cat Dog, is not having themes of, like, war and genocide. Like, the oh, Fire Nation yeah. legit wiped out the Air Nomads. Just mm-hmm. took them all out, said, because that's where the Avatar was, too. We could get into that point later. But they're just trying to take out their biggest enemy, so they wipe out a whole nation. Okay. And yeah, yeah. that is not like what your typical kids cartoon is talking about. And Aang is crying. He goes into the avatar, avatar state. He's raging. And this is a lot for a 12 year old. I'm the same age. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was the same age as Aang in 2005. So when we both like, I wasn't thinking about war and genocide in this show, watching it back then, but you know, right out of the gate, three episodes in, that's what this is about. Yeah. Um, but this I do is, think we should skip ahead to the storm. I know it's okay, a little out of yeah, order, yeah. but I think that's important for what we're talking about. Yeah. So all, go all ahead with what say, you were saying. All I was going to say was that there's this really, I mean, they bookend it, but on a much larger scale throughout the whole mm-hmm. show. Um, so if you're watching through it again or watching it for the first time, just, just take note of at any time, the first time they introduce Aang's backstory or actually dive into it is also the first time it's in the storm. They're diving into Zuko's backstory how he gets his scar. So they're literally bouncing between flashbacks of Aang first discovering he's the avatar, you know, uh, toiling with this responsibility in his head and then uh, going to Zuko's flashback of him um, rebelling against his father and then being disciplined, being scarred for life and being banished. And that kind of sets the stage for both of their progressions through the rest of the show. And it comes full circle in the third season. If you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. Um, and if you haven't, uh, it's a nice little treat at the end that now you'll, you'll get there. Pick up you'll on, get there. Yeah. Keep watching. You will get there. But I, I think you bring up a great point because we mentioned how the, um, the different nations have different feels to them. So these two stories that are, or excuse me, so it's one episode, but two stories of these flashbacks, they have totally different feels to them. Airs like, Go- or excuse me, Aang is like goofing around in the air temple with Monk Yatsu on his air scooter. And he's like, oh, they're playing games. And he's like, you know, I'm pretty bummed about this, that I'm going to have to blah, blah, blah. And all his friends are treating him differently. You know, anyone who deals like with a lot of responsibility, one of the, it's such a lame thing. I learned this the hard way, but when you have like too much responsibility, too much on your plate, 
like a, a weird response people will do is just do none of it <laughs> where yeah. Aang just took off. He ran away. Yeah. And that's like a total, no, it seems outrageous. Like you're like, Oh dude, you have all these, you need to master all these elements. You need to stop this war. Like what are you doing running away? You got to start right now kind of deal. Uh-huh. And so it has a very different feel versus like Zuko's, which is like super dark. Everyone's super, uh, the colors are red and black and it's very like, I'm sorry, father, I'm sorry. And his dad comes out and fire bends on him. Like yeah. they got two different feels to what you would call their origin stories, but they mm-hmm. relate in a really cool way, which I, I like I said, every time I watch this show, I feel like I, I piece together something new or I learned something new. It seemed very odd to me that they were showing both of their origin stories in the same episode. And it was done very purposely because at the end of the day, while they have very different feels to them, they've both made a mistake and they're both trying to restore it the best way they know how. Aang's been gone for a hundred years. And so this episode, the storm is where he really comes to terms with, okay, I'm going to have to do this. This is my responsibility better late than never. Where Zuko's maybe a little more misguided. He's trying to regain his father's honor. He feels like he's messed up his, his familial responsibilities to the, to the crown, his nation, whatever. Mm. And so both of them, feel they've made a grave mistake and that's what starts their journeys. And now both of them are setting out trying to make that right in their eyes. Yeah. They're both it's, looking for redemption in a way. Yeah, it's, uh, and isn't that just the, the best story of all time? Someone seeking redemption and either finding it or not. Uh, you know, these characters are not going to have an easy time yeah. uh, on their, on their road to redemption. If you'll, if you'll uh, put it that way. But I, like you said, I think it's really cool because it seems like that would almost want to be done in two different episodes but it's done very purposely that they are in the same episode. We get a dichotomy of our two. Um, I think you said it to me. It wasn't on the podcast, but like, you know, this is what the story, these, the story is about these two. Yeah. If we're following part of the story, it's always from one of those two's perspective. Yeah. I think the, the way I put it to you was, is it's as much Zuko's story as it is Aang's, which I don't, uh, I've never picked up on until this no, last rewatch. Uh-uh. It's not something you're going to pick up on your first time either. It, it mm. takes a while to be like, Oh my God, I, I really, you see the journey. Both of them have a very long ways to go and they're heading in. I don't want to say separate directions, but they're heading on different paths, which ultimately parallel paths, parallel paths. There you go. Boom. I like that a lot. Uh, But Um, to to the the showrunner's credit, they also devote a, like a similar amount of time to all the characters. So even Sokka, mm -hmm. even Katara, even all the characters. Yeah. We're focusing on Aang and and Zuko right now, but they good amount of character development. Yeah. Uh, Sokka is one, I think, uh, maybe just as a young man, I feel like I always related. He was, I think it's so funny, the episode where they meet um, their Katara and Sokka meet their dad's friend who was off the war and he's injured. Bato, thank you. And so um, you get the cute little flashback of, oh, it's not cute, but all the men are going to war and young Sokka runs up. He's ready to go. He's He's so ready to go. He's got war paint on. He's like, dad, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. And his dad hits him with a great line. I love this. I love this. I love this. He says, son, you're not coming with me. Uh, I'm paraphrasing there. But the, the quote I love is, being a man is knowing where you're needed most. And Sokka is obviously just a kid. He doesn't understand that. Sure. But it's, he's you know, he needs to take care of, they can't, he needs to him right there. He's not going to be as much use. And as much as it pains both Sokka's dad and him to part ways that's that's what needs to be done here. And mm-hmm. even in that episode, it's so great. They're ready to leave Aang because Aang hid the letter from yeah, their dad. And lied to them. Yeah, yeah, and so they actually do leave. They leave for like a second. Mm-hmm. And 
Sokka kind of has a little bit of a flashback to that moment of being a man is needed, be, knowing where you're needed most. And he goes, we need to go back to Aang. We need to go save Aang. He does and, have a lot of those, like, he has to make, like, a, almost a paternal type of decision where, like, yeah. he has to do what's best for the group yep. and look out for yeah. them. And it's a joke. He jokes one time that he's the leader of the group, and they all kind of like, oh, what do you <laughs> scoff it off? But he is. He, you know, Aang ideally should be the leader of the group, but Sokka goes through a journey of all Sokka wants is to be, like, a manly man leader. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, that's what we see. And he quickly learns both through – uh, actually, not even Katara. He kind of learns it from the Kyoshi Warriors and yeah. Suki that, like, being a you know being a warrior and being a man are two very separate things. Or and his, he realized his definition of what manliness is is yeah. misconstrued. Very much so. Very much so. And he he goes through a nice journey of learning like what it means to be a warrior, what it means to be a leader, and what it means to be a man. And you know, he was very much fusing those three into one image. And you can really see where he picks up things like the episode with Jet. While it's not one of my most favorite episodes, um, you really see Sokka go through like a, a journey. He's not, he, especially about how to be a leader because he want he's jealous of Jet. Jet, everyone is listening to Jet. Katara's infatuated with Jet. Yeah. Like, but he has to be the bearer of bad news. Well, he, he has does. to shatter he, that illusion. He has her. to shatter yeah. that illusion. But he also realized he was, he was man enough to like stand up and go, no jet, this is not right. This is not what a leader does. This is not how a leader acts. And one coming to that realization of, Oh, I want to be a leader that everyone listens to, but not like that. Uh-huh. And two, just kind of, like you said, being the bearer of bad news, breaking that illusion. That's what a real man is supposed to do. You know, you're yeah. not afraid to tell someone something hard if it's the, the right. Yeah. Yeah if it's the right thing to do and Sokka deep down, that's what makes him a good leader is he does know what the right thing to do is. Yeah. I think Sokka is also a great uh, character to follow in the show because he's one of maybe one of the only characters, main characters that cannot bend an element. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So he's just, he has like a boomerang and like this other like sword. club sl- sword. It's like a club sword thing. thing. Yeah. Um, so in the first episode, when we meet him, his first moment, he's trying to be this macho man to his sister and like, oh, all you do is cook and clean. And like, yeah, he's got misguided concepts of, of gender roles. He's like a kid. Um, but then fast forward to when he's meeting the Kyoshi Warriors, he gets absolutely humbled by this elite group of female warriors. And then he has the humility to say, uh, I'm sorry, I was wrong about what I said. Like, I would love for you to train me. I clearly and, recognize that oh, I just got know, goosebumps. these women you, can whip my ass. I just got goosebumps listening to you say that. I love, this is, and you know, I don't know if this is something that I've learned, but this is something I've believed for a very long time. And it's not even, I, I would say like, oh, being a man is, but not even being a man, but part of being like a, an adult, a grown person and responsible for yourself is being able to admit when you're wrong. And mm-hmm. what we knew from Sokka in episode one is he probably wouldn't have been able to admit that he was wrong. But like you said, he got humbled real fast by the, by the Kyoshi warriors. And Suki, can we talk about Suki for a minute? Sure. Yeah. Suki is awesome suki mm-hmm. is totally badass suki is probably a better warrior than Sokka. She's, and she's one of the kyoshi warriors yeah. yes sorry yeah she's yeah. one of, she's the leader of the kyoshi eh, maybe yeah. i'm speaking out of yeah oh, she, maybe she's just a like kyoshi she warrior she's the only i one feel like she is too she's yeah that's what it is <laughs> um but so she is great because uh and she even has a line that kind of mentions it but while she's such a badass warrior you know m- most cartoons you're going to see like your badass female character be a little more like tough, you know, very tomboyish, rough and tumble, but that's not Suki. Suki Mm -hmm. is very much like, she's like, Sokka, I am a warrior 
and then kisses him and is like, but I'm also a girl. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, those two not things. Are, exclusive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it seems obvious, you know, maybe where you and I are at in life now, but for 10, 12, 11 year old people, children, that's not an, that's not always something that people know. Cause uh-huh. like I said, most cartoons, they feed into stereotypes. They really, they will play on that joke of like, Oh, the badass girl is kind of mm-hmm. a tomboy. And I guess this is just a way of saying like, no, you, you can be both. You, you can be yeah. badass you and be strong. A, you, you can be anything yeah. and everything, you know, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And, uh, this is funny. You know, like I said, it was two dudes, Michael and Brian that made this show and it's got very positive female characters. Uh-huh. And here, like here we are, neither of you, uh, neither of us are female, either you or I, but yeah. we, we still find such an appreciation for that. It's like mm-hmm. a, a breath of fresh air. It's very noticeable. It's very, I don't want to say intentional, but, it is. Yeah, it's intentional. Yeah. It's very intentional, and it's to drive that point home. Yeah. And well, here's uh, one for you. I want yeah. to get to the end of Legend of Korra. You oh, I seen it yet. I, I'm not at the end. Don't spoil. I still have three, three and four. There's a little teaser for you. Okay, um, cool, While we're cool. on the Kyoshi Island episode, one thing that I did notice uh, going back again to watch this is, like, there are times where I'm watching the decisions that they're making, and it's like, like in this episode specifically, Fire Nation comes to this village, starts raiding it because they're looking for the Avatar. And Team Avatar just bounces, and I'm like, they dip. Really? Like, Wait. And, and you like, know, that's. Oh, a, yeah, they are just kids, but it's they're like, just kids really? That- that's the resolution? They're just going to put fires out, but then bail? Yeah, and they just take off. Was, uh, I don't know. Funny to me. That's a lot of what they do, though. And like I said, on Aang's road to uh, road to his redemption, it is met with a lot of failure. Mm-hmm. And running away, maybe not always necessarily a failure, but I'm sure as a kid, you know, that felt like a failure. Aang probably felt very guilty that he couldn't help those people. I think uh-huh. one thing they touched on um, in the Southern when he was talking about Monkey Atsu, maybe it's in the storm. Um, Aang's got to feel this like tremendous amount of guilt. One, because he ran away from his responsibility. That's like the obvious one. But uh-huh. two, all the air nomads got wiped out because the Fire Nation was looking for him and he left. Whereas yeah. think about what he did at the Southern Water Tribe when he was like, don't give these people trouble. I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah. I'm sure he was like, man, if I was there, I could have done that and saved them all probably. Mm-hmm. And that's that's heavy for a 12-year-old. Egg is, egg is a child, and these are the things he's dealing with when he gets out of the iceberg, which also, you know, 100 years passed, but it probably feels like a, a blink to him. He probably yeah. was saw Monk Yatsu at one second and then realized that all his people uh, got burned up in a genocide, partly partly because of his his fault of running away. Uh, it just it, So him running away from the Kyoshi warriors, kind of another thing. I'm sure he feels guilty about that. Yeah. There's a lot of built up um, like Aang failures before Aang starts truly succeeding. And I, uh, real quick, I just want to break down this, this piece of the mythology. So the avatar um, is an individual who is reincarnated, reincarnated, um, you know, over thousands of years uh, between the four tribes and it cycles through the four tribes. But the reason the fire nation is looking for them is that they can um, either control the cycle once it gets to the fire nation or end the cycle by killing mm-hmm. the avatar while he's um, 
tapping into the avatar state, which is basically like Super Saiyan mode, where yeah. you can bend all thing, all four things at once. And the Fire um, Nation knows that this is really their only opposition. Yeah. So they're literally willing to take out babies, children, in order to win this war. Uh-huh. And, you know, this is part of what I was saying is in the first book, we truly only see the Fire Nation as like pure evil. Just yeah. evil, evil, evil. Um, and so halfway through the season, we meet Avatar Roku, who was a firebender before Aang. And another one of these, like we met Zhang Zhang, we were like, oh, I guess Avatar of Roku is, is a good guy, though, even though he was a firebender. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that mid... I mean, we could talk about it. I guess we're coming up to it anyways. But So it's the mid-season point where it's the winter solstice, part one and two. Mm-hmm. And Aang really taps into the spiritual side of things. But uh, so a few things we could talk about was Zuko showing kind of his, uh, his brilliance there when he puts the bags of gunpowder and the five dragons. That's cool there. But anyways, back to Avatar Roku, he, we're not going to learn for many seasons, his sort of part in all this, but he sets Aang off on like the main quest of the whole series. He says, mm-hmm. Sozin's Common is coming in a year. And that's how the air nomads got wiped out. And if it comes again, you know, they're going to win the war. And so really, whereas the first half of the season, Aang is going for bouncing around on Appa, oh, yeah. going yeah. everywhere. And you're like, dude, you have a goal. Well, yeah, I guess we know that. But aimless. It's, well, it is aimless. It doesn't <laughs> seem aimless. They are aimlessly wandering. And um, Roku sets them on that path of, uh-huh. okay, this is, okay, you, you do... Like Aang had ran away from his responsibility. And even when he's back, he's not running per se, but he's, he's avoiding to the best of his ability. And Roku sets him, like I've said it four times out here, he sets him on that path of this is what you're going to do. It, I mean, it sets up literally everything in book two and three was, uh-huh. and they do it in two episodes, I guess I was going to say in 20 minutes, but they only, they do it in two episodes. Whereas the whole first part of the season was really dedicated to just episodic journeys and kind of some goofy yeah. things. We know the Fire Nation's chasing Aang, but the, you know nothing too too uh, too uh, plot driving, I guess you could say. Yeah, and uh, one of the first episodes where you start where they start to break that um, perception of the Fire Nation is the Jet episode. Well, at least one of the instances that I noticed because. Mm-hmm. Um, the main conflict between Jet and Sokka start, stems from this moment where they run into the, a Fire Nation citizen, just an innocent guy in the woods, and Jet wants to kill this guy. And Sokka says, "No, he's you know he has no blood on his hands. He's not a soldier. He's just a citizen." And he stops the group from he lets the wow. guy escape. That's great. And, and that's the, at the end of the episode. That's the guy who vouches for Sokka when he t- tells him to t- evacuate. Mm-hmm. fucking town that jet wants yeah. to flood because flood. He's, he's trying maniac. to flood a whole town yeah. yeah and so this is this is saka's whole this is like where it really starts him well i don't want to say it starts but we start seeing budding of him becoming like a true like natural born leader you uh-huh. know uh it's what we love about captain america he is going to speak out if it's wrong even if uh-huh. everyone else is saying no no no, no we're gonna stick with jet's plan even Aang, even Katara, they're like, no, Jet's right, you're wrong, Sokka. Sokka stuck to his guns and said, no, you are wrong. What you're doing is wrong, Jet. And uh, he saved the day. And that's what I love about Sokka. And like you said, in season one, he's mostly com- comedic relief. He's mostly yeah. goofy, throwaway lines. But when he does have these moments, it, uh, they feel very earned. Because 
man, these two, they're good. They stick to (laughs) these like growth arcs. And if it's not something plot related or comedic related, you damn better well be sure it's going to be related to their growth as a character. Mm -hmm. Um, Something I thought was interesting knowing how it all ends. So a little bit of spoilers, but um, in the Northern air temple, wow. So do we visit three air temples in book one? No, just two, the Southern and Northern. Um, Or is it the Eastern? No, Eastern's later. Eastern's later. Yeah. Yeah. Just the Northern and Southern. So the Southern is where Aang grew up and we saw that one monkey Yatsu was dead there, which was super weird. His bones were just chilling there with, with his clothes and his amulet still on, but it's a cartoon. (laughs) So whatever. Um, the Northern air tribe has been taken over by those, those industrialists and they've Mm -hmm. like destroyed it. And, uh, they're building stuff for the fire nation and Sokka in this one builds a war balloon, builds a hot air balloon. He was like, Mm -hmm. we can control the hot, the hot air and it helps them win that fight. But at the very end, the Fire Nation finds this war balloon. And several seasons later, it's not really brought up, not mentioned, what beats their, you know, raid on the summer solstice? Hot air balloons. Those hot air balloons. And then when they're going to take over at the end, it's a raid of hot air balloons. It's it's a weird detail that you might not like if you don't it, like, yeah. uh, like I said, this is my third, fourth time watching it. Like I never in a million years would have noticed that, but Sokka literally built it. They found it. And then also at the end without, I mean, he takes it, takes down the, the hot air balloons in the end too. It's like a weird, another bookend, another full circle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just shows like Sokka, uh, his innovation too. That's another one of his traits is being able to think outside the box, but that's what also makes him a good leader for this group. Mm-hmm. So let's see. We've touched on Aang and Zuko a little bit. Um, Before we move on from Zuko, I think we got to touch ooh. on um, the Blue Spirit episode, which is one of my oh, favorite yeah. episodes. So um, Lucius Malfoy captures Harry Potter. No, just kidding. Captures <laughs> Aang. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll set this up a little better for me because I remember yeah. obviously the premise of it. But so one, of, one of the characters we talked about briefly, his name's Admiral Zhao. He's a, a fire he's nation a dick. official. Yeah, he, he's also he's like an, another a villain to our main antagonist. Isn't that weird? Uh, we should have known. Rival, a rival yeah, a rival is a good word. We should have known that Zuko may not be the main villain when the villain has a villain. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like. We were rooting for Zuko versus Zhao, but it's still like, well, well I don't want Zuko to win either because then it's, you know what I mean? It's pretty mm-hmm. funny how they do that. I love, I love that Zuko won that Agni Kai against him, though. I do yeah. not. I remember him yeah. not winning a single. A single I, think that's, I think that's part of uh, Admiral Zhao's drive is like he got humiliated oh, by this kid. 100%. And so, now, so now Admiral Zhao has made it his mission to find the Avatar um, but really stealing his thunder before what a, Zuko does. What a way to like, really like, yes. Yeah. I was, he beat me to it. What a way to really piss someone off by stealing their clout though. Like Zuko's main goal for the past two years, I think he's been looking for the avatar before we pick up on the series. If someone just swooped in and was like, Hmm, I got a lot more resources. Uh, yeah. I'm definitely <laughs> going to take the, the avatar. Age, twice the age. Yeah. yeah. Real dick move, real dick yeah. move. And it's like, Admiral Zhao has to know what happened to Zuko. He had like, you know what I mean? I guess some of Zuko's crew members don't know. And Iroh was telling them in the storm, but yeah. Admiral Zhao's a higher up. You imagine he knows what's going on. Like he has to know the sort of struggle and pain that Zuko's going through. 
and he just doesn't care. He just doesn't yeah. give a fuck. It's so real rude. Villain, yeah. Yeah. Real, real. And it's just, it lends credence to this, you know, these fire nation people are evil, just uh-huh. evil to the bone. They're born evil. But you know, now we're talking about this. That's what they show us in book one, evil, evil, evil. Mm-hmm. They will beat up kids for the sake of steel kids thunder. So when, in the jet episode, Sokka is like, no, 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 leave this old man alone. He may be fire nation, but like, he's not part of the war. Mm-hmm. And obviously later in the series, when Aang is very, his pacifist comes out later in the series, you know, while no one's born evil, I think that's a good lesson from this. While we see the, these fire nation people as evil, 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 it's been hundreds of years of this war being not, not misconstrued, yeah. but really taking vain in what the fire nation is. Uh-huh. And a hundred years of anything is really going to shape how a society views itself yeah. and, and other they, people. The people in the Fire Nation believe they're, uh, you know, it's it's their version you, of manifest destiny. Like it's yeah. you think they, they think they're superior? To, they think they're better than the other benders? They just think they it's their mission to spread. I mean, we talked yeah. a little bit about this before, but manifest destiny is a good comparison. To spread wealth and the wealth and prosperity of the it's imperialism. You know, it's imperialism spread it across the world. Um, but so Admiral Zhao, uh, also is a former student of Zhang Zhang, the, the ah, defected, uh, firebending master. Zhang Zhang name drops him or doesn't name drop him, but mentions him. He's like, my last student had no patience. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, ah, my teacher. And you're like, Oh my God, yeah. it connects. Yeah. Uh, and so Zhao has made it his mission to capture the avatar. Um, and at one point he does by some circumstance. And this is in episode 13. Uh, and obviously that is not, no good for Zuko. So, and I love this shit when this happens in a, in a show, like Zuko dons a, a secret identity. He wears uh-huh. this blue, you know, demon mask to break Aang out of a fire nation prison. Uh, and they call him the blue spirit. He doesn't do any firebending, obviously doesn't want to um, set cover. off any red flags. Um, but he, he wields these two broad swords. You know, you know what that, that's, Story reminds me of though. Um, did you ever watch Teen Titans? Of course, I watched Teen Titans. The original Teen Titans. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes is the Red X storyline where uh-huh. Robin goes. Spoilers! Undercover. Spoilers! <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> goes undercover as a, a student of Slade, and he like yeah. fights the other team. It's like it's the Great. same. He's going. Zuko's fighting against his own country's interests because he needs to capture the Avatar himself to redeem his honor. So they do this. Uh, like a prison break, uh, and he breaks Aang out of the prison, uh, and they fight off like all these elite archers and and Fire Nation soldiers. Well, those archers were pretty cool. Yeah. Although, it, I, although, why on earth would they not make them firebenders so they were shooting flaming arrows? I don't know. It seems like such an opportunity. It seems yeah. so easy, but it, they were elite uh, archers, and they're so badass, and I was just waiting for it the whole time. I'm uh-huh. like, just light these arrows on fire, you idiots. What are you doing? But yeah, so it's like this first instance of Zuko and Aang working together, and at the end of it, just as they're you know almost home free, one of the archers actually nails Zuko's mask right mm-hmm. at like right on the forehead, knocks him out. And Aang has this moment of, do I run free or do I try and save Zuko as well? And well, that's when he realizes that it's Zuko. Oh, yeah. He can, he, he he can yeah, see the scar the through the mask now. Yeah. The scar. And so he just decides to rescue uh, Zuko. Cause Zuko just rescued him. Yeah. And, and that's just one of the things they're so true to Aang being a monk. 
Like that's such a monk philosophy. Aang would have saved himself so much trouble if he just left Zuko there. Yeah. So much future trouble could have been avoided. If and he it's, just it's so heartbreaking because when uh, Zuko comes to, when he wakes up, um, Aang is like, you know, we did a pretty good job back there working together. Do you think we could be friends? Blah, blah, blah. And Zuko's first instinct is to attack him. And obviously ah, fire Aang, bends right away. Yeah. Aang pieces out after that, but it's like, Oh, that's a heartbreaking. It's our first little taste of, I know. Oh, what if, what if those two worked together? The Zang romance. Me? Yeah. But I, uh, I love that episode. And I I'm do too. The blue spirit does come back in, in later seasons. I know. It, one of the, so many things in these early seasons seem like throwaways. Like that easily could have been like a one-time thing, but no, the blue spirit does play a big role. Like there's a lot of foreshadowing mm-hmm. and it's, I don't necessarily know it was uh, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konitzko's like if they had this all planned out, but what it was is they were very good at using what they already had built. You know what I mean? So they probably look in two and three and we're like, what can we build upon that we did in one? I feel like, and maybe this is just me, but if I was like a showrunner on on Nickelodeon, I'd be, especially with like my first season, I'd be like, okay, I just got to make sure I get renewed. I like, I'll, I'll get what I can do. And I think that's why we see such a change from season one to two, like the goofiness, the tone, the episodic journeys that start and end in one episode versus a much broader story in two and three, because mm-hmm. by that point they realize that, like, Oh, we got to hit on our hands. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me check my notes here. We've talked about most of the episodes besides the fortune teller, which isn't that huge. Oh yeah. But I think I had a point in there. Okay. The fortune teller. Yeah. It was not a, a very important episode, but it, it uh, has like one of well, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I mean, I hate the term filler because this is none of its filler. It was all written for the show. But um, yeah, in the in the terms of most animes, it would be considered a filler. Um, but there's a, a funny, it's literally the only part of the episode I want to talk about. But Aang is very focused in this episode on his feelings for Katara. Uh-huh. And so he's eavesdropping on her, um, her fortune telling and she goes, you're going to marry a very powerful bender one day. And Aang just has the goofiest look on his face. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure he like lifts up his eyebrows a bunch. Like, ah, ah, ah. Um, it's funny. Cause I mean, obviously they do end up together. Major spoilers there, but uh-huh. it, it's cool how they hint at it in these first seasons. Cause they're just kids. It, it's yeah. a very, it's not like a, it's not a focus of the show, but their fondness for each other growing over the seasons sure. is apparent. It's not a romantic story, but it does plant the seeds for how these two are going to grow together. Yeah, later on. definitely. And it's, it's, it's great because I mean, uh, I think if romance was the main focus of it, it would have had a very different feel and tone and story to it. Um, but yeah, so we're done with most of season book one here. Um, we'll we hit on, the, the last two episodes. Oh yeah. 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 I was going to say, is there, is there anything yeah. we need to get to before those last two episodes? Not really. We talked about, you know what? We were just talking about the fortune teller. I got one more. I wrote quote actually okay. that I wrote down. It's not in that episode. Um, it's the one where they find that where Zuko and Iroh are with that girl with that giant beast that smells things. Okay. Um, I don't remember what that was. They run into the fortune teller because so they have Sokka's or they excuse me they have Katara's necklace so they're sniffing mm-hmm. her out. First place they go is the fortune teller. They're like, oh, she clearly spent a lot of time here, which is pretty funny because she did love that fortune teller. But Iroh hits him hits him with a deep quote because the lady goes, "Hey, good looking. What you want me to read your fortune?" He goes, "At my age, there's really only one big surprise left." 
and I'd be just as soon to leave it a mystery. And I, that's uh, so, it's such a cool thing for Iroh to say. He could just say yeah. no. He could be yeah. like, nah, no, thank you. But he's like, nah, he's my life is all figured out. Yeah. Always has <laughs> nuggets of wisdom. And um, that was probably when it, so when I talk about like the tone of season one versus the others is Iroh is very much like made to be out like the lazy fool in the, uh, you know what I mean? He's yeah. like, he's supposed to be like a comedic relief to Zuko. And the, the nuggets of wisdom are very like afterthought, very just not as sparse and frequent. Whereas when you get into book two and book three, you start to see more of Iroh's like uh, purpose, his drive, what's, what's motivating him in this story. Um, whereas in season one, he's just making jokes left and right. Yeah. It's, it, it's, uh, it's not the same Iroh that we get in the second two seasons. Not that it's bad. Cause like I said, the nuggets of wisdom are still there. It's just not the same. Um, before we get to these last two episodes, um, there's a song I want to send you. I don't okay. know if we can maybe play it on the podcast, how that works. I, yeah. I can figure it out. I, um, so I was with my cousins this week and my cousin Ryan had a hand harp and I was uh-huh. plucking at it and I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I don't know what the song is, but there's an avatar song to this and I've become obsessed with it. And this is where I realized the music was like top notch in the show. Let me send this. Okay. So I sent it to you. I'm going to play it too. So it's at like 45 seconds and it starts. Peaceful, so serene. It's I I don't even know how to describe it. This is not It's got uh it's got an air resolution to it. Oh it's like this is where they're flying at the end of the episode, they're flying off into the sunset. Are you ready for this? It's called Safe Return. Oh, what a perfect (laughs) name for it. You nailed it on the head. It's always when they're flying off at the end of the episode. Yeah. And I I don't even know how to like describe the sense of peace this puts over me the sense of like tranquility, uh-huh. uh, the fact that a song can literally, like, I want to meditate to that. I don't even know. Like, I've never heard anything. It like, lowers your heart rate. hundred percent. And I think that's one thing this show really does is you were talking about like the Eastern, like the Asian influence on a lot of the show. I mean, if you think about it, none of the writing is in English. It's mm-hmm. all in, uh, I'm assuming Chinese. I guess I don't yeah, know I think for they're sure. like based on or are Chinese. Yeah, I, I guess I, I, I didn't realize. I don't know for sure. But either way, it's not in English. It's very Western-based. It's um, stuff like this. It's introducing kids to a very different culture that they may not be used to, but in like a you're going to love it kind of way. Like mm-hmm. not in a let me teach you about stuff. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Not in a hokey way. Not in a hokey way, it's but a, man, that song. It's a, it's a very sincere we, appreciation for it. I hope we can have the song playing right now as I'm talking. And so people can <laughs> appreciate it. it. Yeah. It's just so they can appreciate it while I'm talking about just the beauty of this. Like uh, I, I said it before, but the amount of time and effort these dudes put into this kid show uh-huh. is amazing to me because I, I guarantee your Spongebobs of the world are not focused on how are we going to end the score of this episode to really match the Mm -hmm. the tone of what we're going for. You know what I mean? That's, that's just not their focus. And I'm not saying it should be, but for a kid's show where these things get easily lost, 
it, it really makes me appreciate it all the more. The whole series is like kind of a, an homage or a love letter to these Eastern and Asian influences just in the, not just in the, the production design of the world and the characters, but also just the fact that it's very heavily influenced the animation itself by anime. The animation is you know, beautiful. A Japanese thing, but it's uh, it's also animated uh, by Korean studios. Uh-huh. And then Three the show them. itself is created in America. So it's just like it's, it's this hodgepodge of, of cultures creating this beautiful love letter to East Asian culture, yeah. which like for me watching it as a kid, it was like, oh, this is like, you don't, I never got to see that sort of like um, representation yeah. prior to that, right? Definitely. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, we all know representation is important. So the world is appreciating these influences, even if they don't, if you know, they don't know that these are, they're not noticeably. Yeah. Even if they're not noticeably appreciating it, they're still getting the appreciation of it. I get what you're saying. It's, it's really, it's, it's, it's before it's time. I'm I'm telling Mm -hmm. you cartoons back in 2005, were not focused on telling like a life changing story. Yeah. Like this story for many people. I mean, I learned about Avatar from my aunt who was an adult at the time. And she was like, she had it on her iPod mini. We were on a car trip. I was like, what are you watching? Yeah, Lindsay. She was like, Avatar. I was like, that's a kid show. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> She's like, oh no, it's amazing. And that was what got me into it. I was like, yeah. from an adult's recommendation of it being amazing. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I just liked the, the, the bending. Uh, that was the big yeah. appeal you of it. The, the action the, sequences. Yeah. The action sequences, the comedy of it. And those things are so well done that it makes sense that I appreciated them as a kid. But I think there's so much more to it. There's so, like, they've added, like, if those are two of the a million elements of this show, they put time and care into every single one of them. The animation, the music, the voice actors being kids, like actual kids. That's not something you see either. The writing. We, I, I guess this whole podcast has been about the writing of the show, yep. the story that it's telling. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's truly, I think a good story is going to transcend its medium. Like right now, I bet this is actually more exciting for them than when it's being released because yeah. this is like a, a stand the test of time kind of deal. Yeah, you know what I mean? All, all, 15 years. 10, 15, 15, 15 years. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sure them seeing how much people are loving this show now. I mean, that, hell, we're podcasting about it 15 years later. Yeah. Like there is something special with this show. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's inspirational. It's a very inspirational show. It's, it's about a destiny on a weird level. It's about following your path. It's about fighting Emotional competence. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. But about fighting those, not norms, but those set traditions. Like I said, Zuko and Aang are fighting for something. They want to fight to make a change. And uh-huh. little do they know they're actually fighting. They, they actually kind of want the same change, but in the same battle, they're fighting the same battle. We're getting ahead of the spoilers there. So <laughs> part of what makes this story so great is that I truly do think it's going to stand the test of time. And I think we are living in a very good example of that right now. I think very easily another 10 years from now, it, it could have another resurgence of new fans come through. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think it had. I mean, our, our friend, the wonderful Caitlin Godfrey, just mm-hmm. watched uh, Avatar for the first time. First time, never had seen it before. Um, it. Yeah, and I love that stuff. And so uh, I'm glad we're talking about this right now. But I do think uh, you know we're almost done here. We should talk about these last two episodes, kind of put mm-hmm. a bow on it all, yeah. and uh, see where we go. But so 
uh, like I said, the, most of the first season, very episodic. Halfway through, they get a goal that they need to stop the Fire Lord before this comment. Uh, and the first step on that goal is I got to master waterbending. Makes sense. There's a cycle. You got to go air, water, earth, fire. So they finally, at the end of book one, make it to the Northern Water Tribe, which is just totally different than the Southern Water Tribe. It's flourishing. Flourishing is a great word for it compared to like the literal igloo huts the Southern Water Tribe was living in. And man, okay, so now I'm going back to episode one again. I totally forgot, but this was one of, I don't know why, but this got me so excited. But Katara, um, Aang mentioned something about a journey and Katara, the first thing she says, she goes, I've never left my, I've never left my home before. And it's like, oh man, that's like such a relatable thing. She's a little younger than most people, but at 18, it's like, oh, I, I've never left home before. I got to go out and make it on my own now. Mm-hmm. And so you can hear a little bit of like nervousness, but she's excited. She's like, I've never left home. That would be kind of cool to do. And here they are. Uh, you know, I don't know time-wise how long it took, but it took us a season to get there. And they've made it to the Northern Water Tribe, which these are their people. This is, you know, they yeah. want to see these people. It's a people, sister right? tribe. Yeah. It's their family. It's, it's family to them. But I imagine seeing the Northern Water Tribe flourishing so much, probably I would be mad. I would kind of be mad, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, what the hell? We're struggling down there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> be like, you forget, granted, it is all the way across the other, which is really dumb. Which, if you're a water tribe, like I get you want to live on the ice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it shows credence that they're pretty separate. They they don't interact a ton. They Well, I guess we touch on that in Korra. I won't, I won't get into spoilers for that. Um, but... Yeah, it's like a whole civilization made of ice, too, which I think is pretty cool. Like, we, the Southern Water Tribe was made of ice, but their shit was, was, was dingy. Yeah. It was <laughs> like, these people have bridges and waterways and yeah. towers and temples, all made of ice. Pristine, you might say. Pristine is a great word for it. That's a great word for it. Yeah. Um, but we show up here, and it has kind of a... When, it, when you first show up to the Northern Water Tribe, it has kind of a, oh my God, we, we got here kind of feel. They're like, finally. Yeah. And then obviously more conflict comes because it wouldn't be a story without conflict. But it goes back to this beautiful bookend of Katara not putting up with Master Pai. Well, yeah. So when they, when they first get there, they find a waterbending master. They find the waterbending the master. The waterbending master. And Aang is going to uh, take lessons from him. Uh, but he refuses to Aang teach and Katara. Katara. They both are going to take lessons because he's fine with it. They show yeah. up and then he realizes he wasn't, he, I think he probably thought he was talking about Sokka. He was like, Oh, your uh, friend okay. wants to come. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's fine. And then Katara shows up and he's like, no, I refuse yeah. to teach a girl. He refuses to teach a girl. And so this is always interesting though, is because we were, we were both in a fraternity and uh-huh. this was a topic we would talk about sometimes was like tradition versus progress. Yeah. Cause Master Paku, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but obviously his ideals are out of date. Uh-huh. But for a lot of people, like tradition and culture is super important. Like, yeah, I mean, that's can, what the whole Fire Nation is battling, or that's what Zuko, <laughs> he's battling these cultural historic forces. Yeah, very true. Aang is also just thrust into it because he's been gone for 100 years. They're very true. these traditions and, and cultural influences that are telling them to do things. I mean, Aang himself comes from a line of thousands and thousands of reincarnated forms of the Avatar who are all telling mm-hmm. him to do one thing one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's the battle between tradition and progress and, and where you're willing to budge. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think it's interesting because obviously I don't agree with master. I think if a, a female, I don't think the female should be stuck to the medical training that they give them. Um, they, if they want to fight, they should be able to fight. As we learned from Suki, mm-hmm. you can be a girl and be a warrior, but at the same time, master Paku is like, no, you're going to respect my traditions. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm the one teaching, I'm the master. You got to do what I say kind of deal. And this was, like I said, in our fraternity, something we would talk about sometimes. It was like, you can't let tradition stop progress. And that's part of, I think, what I love about their fight. I mentioned that's my favorite fight in the series is I, I like to think Master Paku really saw like, oh, shit, like girls. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Girls can fight. Well, I guess he, he does at the end. He teaches her. So he does admit to being uh, wrong on some level. But I, I like to think it was it was from that fight. I do think probably mm-hmm. more went into it. Uh, you know, his grand, uh, Katara's Graham Graham and Master Paku were betrothed at one point. Mm-hmm. ironically enough, that's the betrothal necklace that Katara is wearing the whole time. And so the power of love always wins in the end. And I, I think that is a big part of why he ended up teaching her. But I like to think that he, he learned from that fight, like, Oh shit, you know what? Girls are just as good fighters as me. Like Katara could have taken him out, give her a mm-hmm. few more days of practice, I think. And he would, she would have taken him out. But so that's, that's one story. This I, it's a two part episode, but so there's the story of them wanting to learn waterbending. And then in the second half, the Fire Nation shows up, mm-hmm. as they tend to do. And I love the black snow, which is just ash, but they, they call it the soot. That's what it is. It's soot. Um, but I love that because we were talking about how pristine the Northern Water Tribe is. You, you, they, the, the soot happens at the Southern Water Tribe, too, and it's definitely a scary feeling. But at the Northern Water Tribe, that soot has a very stark contrast. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, like, shit's about to go down kind of deal. Meanwhile, all, while this is happening, Sokka is kind of on his own adventure. Oh my God, we didn't even talk about that. Falling in love with the princess of the Northern Water Tribe, Princess Yue, who has Daenerys Targaryen white, snow white hair, um, but she's also betrothed to a Northern Water Tribe boy. But they're on this and journey. Now- he takes her on a, a magic sky bison ride. <sighs> Aladdin style, right? Yeah, Isn't that a very Aladdin, Aladdin yeah. move uh, to I could show you the world type yep. deal? And so, but these two clearly get along. There's chemistry, even though she's not, she's like, oh my God, I'm engaged. She's, yeah. she's feeling Sokka. They're so, vibing. We can't just be friends. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime someone says, we could just be friends. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime someone says some shit like that to you, you know, they're madly in love with you. But so this is part of Sokka's journey of like manhood. I love Sokka is very upset with UA princess UA because uh, of this arranged marriage really. And it, that, which is not her fault, but so maybe he's more upset with the situation and probably the Northern the water. Yeah. With the patriarchy, man, they're both upset with these traditions and Saka. Wow. I'm just now putting this together, but Saka has come. He hates the patriarchy now. Whereas in episode one, he was the patriarchy. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh-huh. Where he's like, no, these are stupid traditions. But so Saka, this is like uh, once again, he, they're like, all right, guys, Fire Nation's here. I need warriors that are going to go on a very dangerous mission. And Sokka's one of the first people to stand up. Mm-hmm. It, it, not his people, not his tribe. He's very frustrated with UA, the princess of, of these people. And he still stands up and says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for you and your people because that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's taking like, the, the dangerous mission. He volunteered for, like I, I don't want to say suicide mission, but the way they imply it, they're like, all right, man, 
who wants to sign it? And they treat him like heroes when they send him off. They do the paint on their head. And that's a really touching moment. I don't want to say episode one and two, Sokka wouldn't have done that, but it wouldn't have been so clear cut the right call for him to do. Like he makes it on a snap decision. Yeah. I love it. I love it because it's, ah, well, we're talking about like, Oh, you and I were talking about a and Katara and the fire nation. And I forgot about Sokka and UA. And that's like such a great touching part of the story in the Northern water yeah. tribe. And that's kind of the cap to the whole season is, is UA's yeah. sacrifice. Well, so yeah, but so I guess we, the fire nation shows up and they're looking for the avatar. And at some point Zuko has me, the avatar. Can I clarify one thing Please. real quick? The Fire Nation, not Zuko, but Admiral Zhao. You're right. Because yes, we got to differentiate. Zuko yeah. fakes his own death. Who wouldn't in his spot? Honestly, he should have. Once Admiral Zhao was on his ass, he should have faked his death right out of the gate and let him do his own thing. So there so, are like three parties at play. So there's Admiral Zhao's forces. There's Team Avatar defending the Northern Water Tribe. And then there's Zuko. Zuko and on his own. And yeah, Zuko's on his own trying to like infiltrate through waterways yeah. the Northern Water Tribe, yeah, which he does. Yeah. And so Admiral Zhao shows up. He's fucking shit up. He's tearing stuff apart. And he, so this is, a, I don't remember if he comes to the Northern Water Tribe with this plan, but he eventually gets it in his head that he is going to kill the moon spirit. Now there's two spirits in the Northern Water Tribe. It's two koi fish the moon and the ocean spirit. So yeah, just as the fire nation gets a lot of their power from the sun, Mm -hmm. water, water benders use the 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 moon as a source. But so Admiral Zhao, I think, I think this is a good part of his character, not development, but revealing of his character here is he's, while he is burned by Zuko and wants revenge on him, he's like looking for glory. He's looking for eternal glory. He wants to be remembered as one of the greats, yeah. which, you know, who wouldn't? Uh, who wouldn't? That's what I, yeah, you beat me to it. <laughs> who wouldn't? But he's going about it in all the wrong ways. He wants to be the guy who captured the avatar. Well, we only think that's the wrong way because we love yeah. him. But so he's trying to capture the avatar and then he gets the, he's going to kill the moon spirit and really throw everything out of whack here. Because uh, I think that would take away all of waterbending. Wouldn't take away waterbenders, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. The, you get this great shot of him bagging up the koi fish and the re- the moon's turning red behind him. And I'm pretty sure they're losing their waterbending. And this is where Iroh steps in and dunks on Zhao. Was like, nah, you're upsetting the natural balance of things. You can't do this. <laughs> and spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Book three we learn Iroh was one time, not tasked, but went to go slay dragons and chose not to for the natural balance and order of things. And this is a very kind of reminiscent moment of that is Iroh the whole time has really been a backseat in Zhao because Zhao invited him along and he hasn't been doing much. And this is the first time he speaks up. I'm pretty sure he attacks too. Does, does Iroh, I think a firebend at him? He's like, no, drop that I fish. don't remember. But, he freaks out either way. I, yeah. I may be misappropriated. He may not attack, but they he does kill the fish. The fish uh-huh. dies. The moon spirit is dead, which is uh, pretty sad. And Because mm-hmm. we're at war right now. We need these waterbenders to defend the, the northern water tribe. And it looks like Zhao is winning. But this is where we get that beautiful cap to Sokka and Yue, where she... And maybe I'm saying this wrong too, but she 
when she was born, did not have a heartbeat, and the moon spirit gave her life. And so now she is going to give that life back to the moon spirit. So Yue is a real hero. And another step on, on Sokka's so journey she, of... She becomes the moon, which yeah, Sokka cracks jokes about it. later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she, uh, Sokka's first girlfriend becomes the moon, which... It, and they have this real touching goodbye. It's super... It's, it's emotional. And um, it's, it's like I said, it's that beautiful cap bookend bookend Sokka starts off kind of a jerk kind of an idiot and then we, we see him really become a man mm-hmm. like a like a like a full-fledged not a macho macho manly man but you know we see him grow up that's probably a better term than than see him become a man all the while Aang is well, correct me if I'm wrong but Aang was delving into the spirit world yeah he well no so he after the moon spirit so no, 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 no. So the two spirits, the moon and the ocean spirit, he like teams up with the ocean spirit, goes full yes. on avatar mode. He is a giant like fish penguin in the uh, water. A it's a really cool spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's a really cool scene actually where Aang is just destroying these firebending uh, like legions, ships, tanks, whatever is being thrown at him. And I, d- I did want to touch on this specifically because um, this is another where you can tell um, some of their influences. Cause this is very reminiscent of, the, the Studio Ghibli movie, Princess Mono, Mononoke, where the mm-hmm. climax is, there's this like um, elk that is somewhat spiritual. And the whole movie is about like nature versus man and these hunters kill it. And then like you see its head fly off, but then it becomes this giant spirit body that restores life to the forest it lives in. And this is like, very, it looks very similar. Um, it feels very similar to it where, you know, it's nature rebelling against man or like, you know, yeah. pushing back. Um, but also because like Appa, Appa's design is based off of uh, the cat bus in uh, oh, My yeah. Neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. So you can see a lot of their influences from just not just Studio Ghibli, but it's like, it's it's a love letter to all these things. Yeah. Like I was oh, it's great. It's so well done. But so... End of the season, Moon Spirit brought back to life by Yue. Zuko, what does Zuko, Zuko captures Aang on his own mm-hmm. outside of Ad, Admiral Zhao. Admiral Zhao gets taken down in the city by, shoot, is it? Zhao and Zuko at one point are battling because mm-hmm. I think they both want to get the Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pretty. And you know, I'm ready for this though. I actually think Zuko might be fighting for a little bit more. Yes, he wants to get the Avatar, but he also wants to prove to Zhao, like, you're not going to take the Avatar from me. This is what I've been doing. You're yeah. not just going to come in here and swoop and steal him out of oh, the blue. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a pride thing for Zuko. Zuko's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do this. Well, yeah. So they're in the middle of this battle. And then while it's happening, the Avatar state ocean spirit comes up from the water, grabs Zhao, and is about you know is about to carry him off to oblivion, mm-hmm. and Zuko extends his hand and says, "Take my hand." And Zhao turns it down. He's gonna go down, you know, in all that's his right. glory because he's yeah. a stubborn bastard. Yeah, I I think that's so interesting that we we touched on that. He's like a foil for our foil. He's the villain to the villain, <laughs> and we're gonna see more of that. Actually, you know, while Zuko and Iroh are the main villains, we do see more and more of the enemies that they have. It's like I said earlier, when we're seeing the show, we only really see it through Aang or Zuko's perspective. So where we leave off, 
after book one is team avatars going off to learn earthbending, I believe. Um, the Northern Water Tribe is sending a delegation to help rebuild the, the Southern Water Tribe. I think Paku was going to be part of that delegation. We actually are introduced to the next villain's villain, which is Zuko's sister, Azula. Yeah. Introduced at the very end. And she's go- she's sent out by the Fire Lord, Ozai, to hunt down um, Iroh and Zuko. It's an interesting leave off on a series, I feel like, because it very much sets up, like you were saying, that there's going to be a season two. But I also feel like there's a very big sense of, like... Uh, for I feel like there's a sense of accomplishment that we don't get with other books, maybe because they do save the Northern water tribe. They do. He yes. did learn waterbending. Katara did change the pit, but you know, she is training with master Baku. Like they were able to make that change that they necessarily needed to. It's not the final goal in mind, but they, they end on a, a kind of positive note, which uh, for as many failures as they have along the way, this is a good, this is a good, uh, a good victory for them. Um, random, a couple random things before we wrap it up. Um, just because, well, first I, I want to shout out Jet's fish hook swords cause they're badass, And I love that episode for the action sequences, um, too, just oh, because I, oh, you mean the, so oh. <laughs> his fish hook swords. I was so confused what you meant by that. Um, like fish hooks. yeah, no, no, you're hundred percent right. I don't know what else I would call them. But the vision I had in my head was much different for some reason. That, sure, that's right. It wasn't um, a perfect description. No, 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 no. But I don't know what else I would call them. They are great because they're yeah, unique too. They're, I, I do like those episodes. The story gets kind of annoying after a while, but like the action sequences of jet fighting and, and the freedom fighters is cool. Ready for this. I said earlier, I didn't like that episode and I should have clarified. The only thing I don't like about that episode is that Katara turns into someone she's not in the rest of the series, yes. which is like a, a a stereotypical damsel in distress, like, oh, Jet, oh, no, Sokka, you're wrong. Jet's right. Like, that's not Katara. She, Katara's she's very infatuated with him. Yeah, and you know what? That's part of it, too, actually. I yeah. mean, I, I always view it as, like, out of character for her, but she was infatuated. And you do crazy things when you're in love, that's for sure. Um, the second thing I was going to say, and just because I'm looking at the synopsis uh, of that those last two episodes on Wikipedia right now, I, I don't mm-hmm. know this off the top of my head, but <laughs> the two spirits are named La and, and Toy, which um, I'm, I'm going to pronounce those because they look like they're um, based on the Mandarin words for push and pull, which is literally the, the translation. La is pull and then Toy is push in Chinese. So, and like, like I said, what, such thoughtful design. It's great. It's great yeah. that they put that sort of time, care and effort. No one, 15 years ago, you want to know the number of people that knew that? Probably like 10. Mm-hmm. But years and years, it's a, it's a, a sweet Easter egg that, like you said, you wouldn't have yeah. known that without being on the Wikipedia. I, w- I wouldn't right have now. known that if I was not looking that, at yeah. that. And if I w- did not know a little bit of, magic. I was going to say, you, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the combo of the two. Yeah. Is great. But so it's that sort of uh, attention to detail. And I think the fact that there are two water spirits, whereas I think the other elements, you're really only going to see one. Uh-huh. There's two water. There's the moon and the ocean because it's both the push and the pull. It's yeah. you can't have one without the other. It's very yin yang, if you will, and that's what water's about. You can't have the ice without the water, without the steam. It's the change, but it's also recognizing you, you can't have one state without the other per yeah. se. 
they all exist. You need to focus they on coexist. Yeah, they coexist. Thank you. Yes, and so it's it's real deep. You see random hints at this. Like I said, book one is about water. Them learning water, and it's just random times throughout the story. They sprinkle those nice little hints in the the fish names. The spirit names is a great example of random things you see like that. And I, I do think book two we're going to see it's it's book two is Earth, and I think we're going to see a relationship to that throughout the story. You see a lot of stubbornness, a lot of stand your ground, a lot of, they introduce the character of Toph, which is the definition of rough tumble, stand your ground. But mm-hmm. the rest of the story as well, uh, without getting into too much detail, you get to Ba Sing Se, and they're just literally set in their ways. As You know what? We met a couple of earthbenders in, in book one too, and we didn't really talk about it. We went to Omashu. Mm-hmm. We met Boomi. Oh, yeah. We didn't even touch on King Booney. He's going to play a, a little bit of a part in book two. So we'll, we can touch on him then. But um, what I was saying is the, the stories, I think, do a great job because obviously he's learning that element in that season. But just even story-wise, they do a great job of finding good symbolism mm-hmm. uh, in, in minor details sometimes. Yeah. So that, that wraps it up for book one, Water. Uh, yeah. And-, and so, you know, I named this one. I think we should name each one of our books. We're going to do three books with the three books. Our book one is called Yip Yip. And that's because this is where the adventure starts. And what better way to start the adventure than hop on Appa and give it a good old Yip Yip. And so uh, I, this show feels like an adventure. And yeah. so I think that's real fitting that this is the start of the adventure. Katara says it in the first, I've never left home before. Well, guess what, Katara, you're going to travel all around the world in a globe trotting epic adventure. And they don't know that when it starts, you know, it, I guess you yeah. don't know how an adventure is going to end when it starts, but that's part of the excitement of it. And I think we capture that in book one is this is really the start of the journey. This mm-hmm. is we're hopping on the, the flying bison. We don't necessarily know where we're going to end up. And uh, it's a great start to the story. But like I was saying, many episodic things, very uh, self-contained episodes and, and goofy stuff. But these are the building blocks for what is going to be those epic moments we love later. Now, up next, we're going to be doing book two, Earth, like I said. Uh, so if you haven't watched it in a while, give it a watch. Because if you haven't noticed, we, we talk in some excruciating detail. So you want to pick up on these things too. But uh, I think that's all we got for book one. I, I feel like we covered everything and some. <laughs> and, and then some, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, As always, I'm Alex. And I'm Evan. We'll catch you next time.